Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Whatever you've got on this weekend, don't miss a moment in the world of sport. Wherever you are around the country, we've got you covered. This is SENZ. Just gone three o'clock here on SENZ Sunday afternoon. Ricardo Ball with you through till five o'clock. Coming up, uh, Blake Ashford is going to join us, the former Warrior. We're going to talk NRL. A bunch of games, of course, last night and Friday. We'll talk that big Golden Point win for the Warriors. Plus today, uh, Blake's old side, the Tigers, go up against the Sharks. They'll be looking to break that duck and uh, we'll get his take on that and the coaching situation there as well. Matthew Cross... Course, uh, Harness Racing Caller is going to join us to talk about the race and the draw for the race, which happened yesterday as well. We're going to catch up with Michael Limonado as well to talk F1, uh, the Melbourne Grand Prix. Uh, gets underway from 5 o'clock this afternoon. After 4 o'clock, Paul Temple, who runs the academy, is the head of the academy for the Phoenix. Uh, they have been producing players left, right and centre for the top side this year. They sent another couple over in the last week. We'll talk to him about those players and where those players are at, where the Phoenix are at. We might talk some English Premier League with him as well. And Hayden Patton, the uh, Rally of Otago, is on, uh, has been on since Thursday. It'll wrap up this afternoon. We're going to grab Hayden, hopefully after a podium for him, before 5 o'clock. So all of that coming, plus your calls, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us on the Timber Bedpost uh, text line on double eight double three double eight double three. Uh, so keen to get your thoughts. Uh, we had quite a few calls and few texts coming through on the rugby run of uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Justin Marshall, which is uh, just wrapped up. Of course, there were a couple of texts we didn't get to. Um, I'm going to uh, give a, uh, a mention to Ken here because Ken has said, uh, guys, the Blues last night were even more impressive because there was no Nipo Laulala, no Carl Tuinukuafi, there was no. Caleb Clark, no Akira Yuani, no Roger Tuivasa-Shek, no Zahn Sullivan, and no Finlay Christie, who was ruled out just before the game. Uh, so, yeah, good point, Kent. They were down on numbers a bit, the Blues. And, of course, uh, I thought um, Mark Talia 
was probably the unsung hero that game last night. He had a superb game on the wing, uh, won a couple of turnovers, set up a couple of breaks as well, uh, and has been a, a great workhorse for the Blues. Um, Ken also suggesting that Caleb Clark should be a shout for the wing spot in the All Blacks. So keen to get your thoughts on that. Jimmy also texted through. We, we're having this big conversation about what the midfield for the All Blacks should look like, given there have been so many... Um, I guess uh, players put their hand up this year. I mean, you know, I, I went through them earlier with Justin Marshall. I mean, Thomas Umanga Jensen, when he's been fit this season for the Highlanders, has been uh, absolutely superb. Uh, of course, and at the Crusaders, you've got Lester Fyanganuku, who has played uh, a lot at centre, as uh, switching between centre and wing. You've got him, you've got Braden Enor, you've got uh, Jack Goodhues coming back this month. And of course, David Harvey, who's the incumbent 12 at the All Blacks. You've got Quintu Pyre and Anton Leonard-Brown uh, at the Chiefs. Also Alex Nankerville, who I think has been the form midfielder of the competition just about uh, this season. You've got Geordie, who in the last couple of games at 12 has impressed a lot. Then Rico Iwani and Roger Tuivasa-Shek at the Blues. So, so many options uh, for the midfield. What does your all-black midfield look like? Uh, Jimmy has sent through his... his Backline, actually, is All Blacks backline. This is how he would line up the AB backline um, if everyone was fit and at full strength. Aaron Smith at halfback, Jordy, uh, sorry, Bowden Barrett at 10, Jordy Barrett at 12, Jack Goodhue at 13, Rico Iwani and Roger Tuivasa-Shek on the wings, and Will Jordan at fullback. Uh, that is how uh, Jimmy sees it. Thanks for your text, Jimmy. You can keep your text coming through on the Temper Bed Post text machine double eight double three, and you can call us if you want to have a chat about any of this. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Dave did ask how we'll how we think uh, we'll go against the Irish. Well, I think some of that depends on how strong the Irish team is. And I'll be interested to see what sort of squad they send down because previously, you know, the June internationals, as they are referred to up in the UK, they often send maybe not a B team, but a kind of a half A, half B team. You know, a few of the big names don't come. Um, so if they're sending a squad of, I don't know, 36, uh, then maybe there's 10 guys that don't come who would normally be in a starting 15. So uh, it's hard to say how we think we'll go against the Irish without knowing what that Irish squad is going to look like. Big Ben Francis is with us through the afternoon as well in the producer's chair. Um, ben, what have, what have you got to say on the matter? I, I totally understand how teams usually send, like as you say, like the mostly A, but kind of few players in there. But I feel like this time the Irish will probably send down their best team because I feel like this. if you need to make a statement now before the World Cup, this is the perfect time to do it, especially if you have you know a few tests against one nation. This is, this is the time where you do it to stamp your authority and say, we are going to have the advantage over you. You want to send that best team down here, I reckon. Well, I guess that would also be something they haven't done before, right? They beat us in Chicago. And they've beaten us twice in Ireland, but they've never beaten us in New Zealand. If they can come down here and make a statement of winning on New Zealand soil, what does that mean? That's really putting down a marker. Exactly, and I think that's why you you do that as opposed to sending down a team. I I totally get if you want to you know bring a few players through that you might see looking ahead to the World Cup. You know, there's no doubt that the the All Blacks will name a few players that will be in that situation. As we mentioned, a guy like Roger Tuivasa Sheik is probably going to be in that and other guys could be Nankerville so many guys could be in that discussion as well but from an Ireland perspective I, I really do think that 
you want to make a statement. You know, you had you've had kind of your way over the All Blacks the last few years. You haven't you haven't won here on New Zealand soil. What a time to do that just before a World Cup. Now, uh, Dave has jumped back on the text. It feels like Dave's my co-host today. He's been he's been very busy on the Temper Beard Post text machine. I think uh, he's called once, and this is his seventh text of the day. Dave, appreciate your input, mate. Uh, it's great having you uh, feeding your thoughts through to us. Um, but Dave has said that he thinks Jimmy's backline is spot on, and he hopes the Irish send an A team because they should do a year out from the Rugby World Cup as they get to prepare for it. So, yeah, thanks very much for your text, Dave. You can keep those texts coming through on double eight double three. That is the temper bed post text machine. Now, there was a bit of controversy yesterday afternoon in that Hurricanes Crusaders match. The last line out of the match, Adi Savia took the ball in the line out. Scott Barrett challenged for the ball and tried to catch it. They ended up kind of tangling. I think arms were linked in, in, in things, or both had arms around the ball. Uh, Artie Savia, Geordie Barrett, adamant that should have been a penalty. Uh, Justin Marshall in the rugby run also thought it should have been a penalty, but for a different reason, because it was a ruck, so players should have rolled away, and they didn't. They acted like it was a all the Crusaders and sealed the ball off. This is what Artie Savia had to say to Sky Sports post-match. Interesting finish, shall we say that? Yeah, um, I've told Mulia Benoa, I've got to take a breath, mate. Um, yeah, I'm lost for words, eh? Um, I've seen some calls that, uh, that go the other way, but unfortunately it didn't happen tonight. Um, yeah, mate, I'm speechless at the moment. Pretty heartbroken, eh? Yeah, I bet you're heartbroken because the physical level of not just yourself, of everyone tonight deserve perhaps better for you. Yeah, uh, I, I get, yeah. You know, we, we came out here and we wanted to prove a point. You know, the Crusaders, they're the best team in this competition. And, mate, I'm proud of my, proud of my boys' efforts. They came out here, they bought out, just missed out in the end. Um, you know, as a leader, you know, I, I like to put pressure on and demand, you know, from the officials and, and making sure they're doing everything they can to get uh, to keep these calls right. Because uh, at the end of the day, it can come to either or and we get an apology the next week, but it's too late. So um, without sounding disrespectful, just would love to have the officials, you know, demand better. Yeah, I would like to have the officials demand better, and he's right. You know, I, I I think there was that should have at least gone upstairs. I think Thomas Waldrum we had on just after one suggested, well, you know, they go upstairs for everything else. Why not go upstairs for that and actually have a look at it? Uh, it felt like there was definitely something to be looked at there, but it didn't happen. And Nadi Savia, I think that's. Uh, about as strong a terms as you'll get from him, but he, he still played the diplomat on it. Can you get your thoughts on that last play of the match on eight double eight double three? our temper bed post text machine, double eight double three. Uh, are you with Artie on that one, or did the officials make the right call? Let us know, double eight double three. That is the text machine here, the temper bed post text machine, or 0800 150 811. When we come back, it's time to talk rugby league with Blake Ashford. And he'll take it on. Oh, he drove it low and got it over the back dot this time. Sean Johnson back in Warriors colours and the hero again. Full time at Redcliffe. It's the Warriors 25, the Cowboys 24. It is quarter past three here on SENZ Sunday afternoons and uh, Blake Ashford, former Warriors uh, centre, joins us. G'day, Blake, how you doing? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. How how good was that? Friday night, golden point win for the Warriors. Sean Johnson getting back to some something like his best. Mate, it, it does set the week up night uh, the weekend up nicely, doesn't it? 
You know, it goes one or two ways. It could be a horrible weekend or you can have a joyous weekend like most, most of us. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Um, we saw uh, Chanel Harris Tavita um, get the get the opportunity to partner Johnson. Uh, given, I mean, I know that uh, we've got a few injury issues, but I mean, given the other options that we've got, including Cody Nikarima, uh, do you think it's the right call by Nathan Brown? Is that the right partnership? Um, look, it, it seems to be working, doesn't it? Um, I like Cody. You know, he scored a great try on the weekend. It's, it, it's a real Cody try, you know. Not too many hookers, I think. You know, they think uh, pass first, but Cody, being the smart man he is, uh, took the run run option, went through like he was playing touch football. Um, I think it's working at the moment, and I don't, I don't like uh, trying to fix things that aren't broken. So, you know, Sean, uh, you know, Sean, he's doing the direction. Chanel's huge in defence. Mm. Um, we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. So. I think while it's working, maybe we keep him there. And he's got a point to prove. You know, he's off contract and he's looking for a contract, whether it be the Warriors or another club. So, you know, I think he's going to be playing his best footy. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you're the Warriors, you, you'd be looking at this and thinking, well, I better time up sooner rather than later, right? Because I think most it's it's reasonably common knowledge that Cody's probably not going to re-sign. He wants to stay in Queensland, so he'll be looking for a contract at the Dolphins or maybe the Cowboys or, or, or the Titans or somewhere. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe they have their... I know they've signed Dylan Walker, who's looking good for Manly and could fill in at 5'8", partner Shawnee. Um, I suppose, you know, you or me, we can question many things that the club do and what halves they want, but uh, I'm sure they got a plan in place. But, yeah, I would be locking up Chanel. He's a local junior. He's, he's born, raised, learned his footy in New Zealand. Um, you see the passion he plays with. Um it's it's really seen, you know, and and that's what we thrive that passion that he brings. So I'd lock him up. Um, by the sounds of it, I think you would too. Yeah, I definitely would, mate. I definitely would. I think that there's um, any other options that we look at would have to would be far more expensive for for one and two uh, aren't proven. And he he gives us both, so I, I reckon he ticks both those boxes. I mean, we we have to see what happens when Ash Taylor gets fit as well uh, and what he can do. Uh, but that's a quick conversation for. I guess once we've seen Ash back uh, for a little while. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Dylan as well, and I think, uh, you know, last off-season I, I thought the two things that the Warriors needed to identify was somebody else at hooker to either be the senior par- partner to Wade Egan or, or to replace Wade Egan and uh, a strike centre. And, you know, Dylan can play that role, uh, the, the centre role that is, and it feels like with Jesse Arthurs, uh, if they can get him on a full-time deal, that would be a great partnership going forward because he has really excelled as another one that the Broncos are letting go, uh, but he looks a great prospect. Yeah, I mean, it would be ideal if the Warriors got to keep him, um, but, you know, after his form at the moment, I can I can clearly see the Broncos uh, taking him back. I mean, uh, they'd be silly not to. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw out our, our young centres just yet. Um, look, it, it's a hard position to learn uh, defensively and um, sort of com- you need combinations as well these days with your halves. Um, they're young boys that have got to develop, and I don't, I don't want to be too quick to judge them after 15 games. So I'm hoping Rocco Berry and um, Valia and those boys can come back fitter and just learn the position a bit more and really thrive there because I think Dylan Walker at the moment, he's sort of changed his game into a sort of a, a lock or he's always around the ball. And it's like, um, I think he'd be wasted for the Warriors at centre. But um, look, it's a great pickup. Um, I just think, you know, if we can keep Jesse Arthurs and 
these young boys developing. I think we've got a good uh, a good shot at a good future. Yeah, we do. Uh, just on the Broncos, I'm just looking at, you know, I mean, their wings and centres. You know, I mean, Katoni Staggs and Herbie Farnworth, uh, fantastic players. Herbie Farnworth, I think, has been one of the better centres of the uh, so far this season. Uh, and then you've got Selwyn Cobbo and Corey Oates on the, on the wings. I, don't, I just don't know where Jesse Arthur's fits there. And given, you know, the issues the Broncos are having in terms of tying players down, maybe it is one that they think, well, we've probably got these positions covered. Let's use that money somewhere else. Yeah, I mean... You know, hey, you're sounding like a, a CEO, a real G, GM here. <laughs> Put him for the Broncos job. Um, look, uh, uh, it'd be ideal for the Warriors. It really would, the way Justin Arthur's um, has been playing. So, you know, maybe the Broncos might be looking to put Katoni Staggs in closer to the ball because, you know, apart from this week, he's really been starved of it. And mm. we know what he can do when he, when he gets the ball. But um, for the Warriors, hey... You know, maybe if we get you in that GM job for the Broncos, uh, might be some luck to worry. <laughs> Thanks. How much are you taking as my agent, Blake? Oh, 50%. 50 Okay, just the I'm 50 a, I'm a, Yeah. Yeah, I'm hard. I'm a hard man. <laughs> hey, um, on, the, on the Broncos then, because this weekend, honestly, you looked at it, and I know the NRL can be tough to pick at times, but this weekend, outside of the, the night Seagulls game on Thursday, which I thought was going to be tighter than it was, it, it's felt like a reasonably easy weekend to pick. You know, you thought the Roosters are going to do the Broncos. You knew the Storm would do the Raiders. The Rabbits would have too much for the Dragons. The Eels should beat the Titans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, were you surprised, given the dumpster fire that the Broncos have been the last sort of season, season and a half, that they got so close to the Roosters? Uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, I, I thought the Broncos would have a, a lot better year and it sort of proved that way the first two games and then sort of died off the last two. But I can't pick the Roosters at the moment. I, I was, I've been open um, with the TAB podcast um, on their vantage line and I've been saying, look, the Roosters, I said at the start of the year, they're the team to beat. I can't see anyone beating them. And then, funnily enough, they've come out and they're just so inconsistent. It, it's like they haven't settled on a team yet and... But yeah, I'm I'm just um, it, it's funny it's funny game. Like I think the competition's getting a lot closer these days than last year, but it's still hard to pick. Um, like the teams like the Roosters and whether the Raiders are going to be up this week. Like I thought Newcastle might have won that game on the weekend. Mm, so still, you know, you get those games that are a bit um, here and there. So still waiting for the Roosters to find their form. Well, mate, I've got a I've got a five league multi which results this afternoon on the Panthers beating the Dogs and the Sharks beating the Tigers. Um, I know that mm. last one hurts for you because you're, you 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 know spend a lot of time in the Tigers. Um, where yeah, are mate. they at at the moment, mate? And if they lose this, is that match gone? Oh, I, I'd hate to think so. Look, I, I feel for the boys. I really do because I don't think it's that's the problem. I don't think if you bring in another coach that with the roster they've got they're going to improve and make the eight. They might win some games. You just you just never know. I think um, no, it's going to be hard to let go of Madge because their team next year, Isaiah Papali played under him with the uh, New Zealand team and Upi Coruscant won a competition for him at South Sydney. Mm. So I'm pretty sure they're signing with the Tigers to play under Madge. So I, I wouldn't be quick to let him, let him walk because um, I don't think uh, there's... A, I'd give him till next year and see... You know, I know the fans and all of the people uh, want him gone, but I, I don't think it's that easy to fix. I think they need to look maybe a bit higher into the board and maybe the, the people that are getting these players to the club.
Well, I mean, there's a guy that, that is still there, and I'm surprised he's still there, because I thought if Madge didn't go, he would. And that's Luke Brooks. There's been plenty of uh, mail to say that they don't get on, they don't see eye to eye, but Madge is still having to play him, which suggests you're right, that it's somebody higher than Madge that's making that call. Um, where are you on Luke Brooks? Is he good enough to be a half at a premiership, you know, at an NRL team that wants to be in the eight? Yeah, 100%. I... Um... I've got a lot of time for Brooksy. He sort of um, came through when I was still there. Um, so I've seen firsthand what he can do. Um, now, look, the, the kid's probably down on confidence. It's it's tough media over there. He'd be getting hounded from every which way. And obviously the team's not performing and they haven't made the eight for, for many years. So, um, look, I heard this, this week that if they swapped him and Flanagan, like they were thinking about that swap, well, I reckon if Brooksy goes into that Bulldogs team, it makes him a top eight team straight away. Um, because that's all they're missing, I think. Um, look, you get him those players next year, and I'd like to see what he can do, because I've got a lot of time for Brooksy. I reckon he's a good player, great kicking game, um, and he can definitely be the halfback in a side that rattles the comp. Well, let's talk about the Bulldogs then, because they take on the Panthers, and uh, they have recalled Kyle Flanagan, because Jake um, Avarillo's been in and out and in and out and hasn't really sort of done it. They... They had a lot of possession, a lot of field position against Melbourne last week and did nothing with it and then ended up getting absolutely pantsed. But on paper, they look a good side. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be averse to playing Matt Dufty at six and moving the, the Fox to, to fullback just to get the ball in their hands more often. Uh, what do you make of their op- uh, their chances against the Panthers, the Savo? Oh, man, I, I think they'll be better than they were against the Storm. To be honest, I don't think they could put in another performance like that. Um, but I, I can't see them winning. Look, the, the big problem for the Bulldogs, it isn't like they've signed great players and they have a great team on paper, as you just said, but they don't have a half. Mm. Now, Matt Burton, when he was with um, the Panthers last year, had a half. Um, he was playing centre for majority of it, but when he did play 5-8, he had a, a half inside him and he had a good team around him. Now, it's it's I think it's underestimated how much a good halves pairing can actually do for you. And I think that's all the Bulldogs are missing. If they get that, their outside backs are good enough to um, compete in the competition. And Matt Burton just needs a uh, a partner just to go with him. And I, I think they'll do some damage. So, look, Flanagan, uh, good luck to the kid, but oh, I'd hate to be coming back against Penrith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not much of a birthday present, is it, mate? You know, it's like getting a hand grenade, yeah. for, a hand grenade for Christmas. <laughs> Good stuff, Aish. Thanks very much for coming on, mate. Go well. Enjoy those games this afternoon, eh? Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good one. Yeah, appreciate your time. Blake Aish for their former Warriors Centre uh, with us talking NRL. It is 26 past three here on SCNZ. It's just gone 3.30 here on SCNZ Sunday afternoon. Just about to get a kickoff in the Women's Rugby League Grand Final as well. The uh, St George Dragons up against the Sydney Roosters. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. Uh, the Dragons are favourites at $1.58. The Roosters, who knocked the Broncos out last weekend at two twenty-seven. Uh, time to talk F1 now, though, uh, with uh, Michael Laminato out of Melbourne. G'day, Michael. How are you doing? Doing wonderfully well. The sun is out. The cars are not far from being on track. It's going to be a great afternoon. Yeah, mate. Thanks for giving us some time so close to the race. Uh, of course, we've uh, seen uh, Ferrari 
go well, which is, you know, mate, as a, as a bloke with a name like Limonado, I imagine you're quite quite happy about that. Uh, and, and and Leclerc is, is number one on the grid. Verstappen is second, um, his Red Bull teammate Perez third, and then uh, Lando Norris and the McLaren at four. Uh, what have you made of, uh, of of qualifying yesterday and the practices? Well, so far, as you said, Charles Leclerc on pole position, Max Verstappen relatively close behind him, and it looks like it's going to be a close fight. It's what we've come to expect over the first two races of this season so far. Very close at the front between Ferrari and Red Bull Racing, and I fully expect that to be quite a, a tense duel around this new Albert Park. What's really interesting, though, you touched on there, was Lando Norris in fourth for McLaren. Now, McLaren's had a shocking start to the year, really dreadful, slowest of all the teams uh, in the first race in Bahrain, improved, scored some points, but had reliability problems in Saudi Arabia. They say it's 80% down to the track. The fact that Norris is, is all the way up there and Daniel Ricciardo's down in, in seventh, or I should say up in seventh, really relative to where they've been performing so far. But that tells me, all of a sudden, you know, the sellout crowd that's turned up just to see Formula One might actually be turning up to see a pretty decent Daniel Ricciardo result. Yeah, which would be fantastic. He's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, seventh. Of course, there has been a lot of reports around that there is a uh, an unusual uh, low droning whining noise coming out of the Mercedes garage. But that's nothing to do with the car. That's just um, uh, Lewis Hamilton having a moan, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think absolutely right. He is, uh, he's struggling. The team's struggling, in fact, not just Lewis Allen, the whole team's struggling. This brand new set of rules that have developed these quite dramatically different cars to what we've seen in the last few years just have not been nailed by Mercedes. Pretty contrary to expectations, of course, considering they've dominated the sport for the last seven or eight years. Uh, they, they are, well, in fact, they're not improving, I've got to say. This is their worst qualifying result of the year to date, not in terms of position, but in terms of their pace relative to pole. Uh, and what I think is going to be interesting to keep out an eye on for them this weekend is that because they've qualified out of position fundamentally, which sounds weird to say for fifth and sixth on the grid, they've got a bunch of faster cars behind them. Uh, Carlos Sainz for Ferrari, Daniel Ricciardo from McLaren. The Alpine drivers, Fernando Alonso, was looking good for a front row start or a second row start before he crashed in qualifying. Their job today is to try and hold on to fifth and sixth, not to move forward. That's really unusual considering Lewis Hamilton has got all the pole positions here since 2014, way out for the count, and it's going to be another struggling afternoon for them. Yeah, well, actually, on that, then, let's talk about uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. as well in ninth. I mean, we're talking about Leclerc um, starting in the Ferrari uh, first on the grid with the fastest qualifying time. What's so different about Sainz Jr.? Why is he all the way down in ninth to Ferrari getting things so right? He was extremely frustrated after qualifying because he felt that he had the pace to contend for pole. And the first two races so far, he's been pretty close to Leclerc, even if he's been one or two tenths off on most occasions. It was really just a, a real difficulty getting out of the garage for the final runs in qualifying. We found the tyres around this track needed two hot laps to be at their optimum here. He had a problem with the starter motor uh, that they inserted to the back of the car, which meant he, he lost three minutes of track time, essentially, which meant he could only do one lap on the tyres. Tyres were very cold, that he nearly crashed twice on the lap, and as a result, he ended up down the order. And it's annoying for him because, of course, having the pace potentially to take pole means he has the pace potentially to win the race. Not out of account, of course, because he's still in the top 10 and anything can happen in uh, this race around what is a new circuit. But a lot of work for him to do if he wants to insert himself into the victory conversation today. Yeah, a lot of work to do. Uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, a lot of fans over this side of the, uh, this part of the world, mate, for McLaren because, of course, uh, they're a Kiwi team, as we get told over here, mm. uh, named <laughs> after Bruce McLaren. Um, I know that you've talked about 
the, the the struggles that they have had this season, and, and maybe it is a track thing. But we, how do you think McLaren are tracking? I mean, we don't expect Lando Norris or Daniel Ricciardo to maybe win the championship this year, but are they trending in the right direction that they could be championship contenders in the next two or three seasons? Had you asked me at the end of last year, I would have said absolutely. In fact, I would have said they were a decent chance to be thereabouts this year. We thought even after pre-season testing, the first part of pre-season testing anyway, that they'd be in the top four, the four teams contending for the championship. We know Mercedes didn't end up being one of them, and now McLaren isn't. They've essentially made a pretty big miscalculation with what they expected to be the ultimate performance of this car. The car is actually pretty good to drive, which is good news for Daniel Ricciardo, for example. He struggled with the way the car was driving last year. It just lacks downforce, and downforce is pretty fundamental to performance in Formula One. Uh, Andreas Seidel yesterday was saying, yes, it's a lot down to the track, but he believes they've really understood how to add performance to the car, having looked at the way they performed over the last two races. So championships in the future, yes. We've seen over the last few years their trajectory has been strong. They're a team that's building up. They're building up their infrastructure too, with a new wind tunnel, for example, online in the next year or two. But it has set them back a year or two in that mission to be pretty much, pretty much imminently competing for titles. So, look, depending on how they end up at the end of this year, because it's not going to be this year, we could say as soon as next year, but at the latest, you'd want no later than 2024 before you start to wonder whether it's going to get there. Yeah, I mean, and how has Daniel Ricciardo been? I mean, he is the, the star driver, I guess, for, for McLaren, isn't he? I know Lando Norris is a, is a rising name, but, I mean... Has, has he sort of shown any frustration or is he uh, being a team player on this and just uh, getting his nose to the grindstone and trying to work stuff out with the team? Yeah, so far he, he's been pretty optimistic. He's, been, he's kept himself pretty upbeat because realistically there's no alternative for him. You know, McLaren is his last roll of the dice to get a championship winning car. He's in his 30s now. He's by no means old and in many respects this is the peak of his career. But there are so many young guys coming up that he really needs this McLaren project to work out. And the fact they've got a very solid team around them, I don't think it's too much of a question around sort of the personnel there. He's really put his shoulder to the wheel and, and he's making sure they can sort it out because the season isn't lost in the sense that, you know, things go really well and this has been a great optimistic week again for them. They could be competing for wins by the end of the year. And then, of course, you're thinking much more optimistically about next season, which is his final year on contract. So that's been really good. And I, I thought it's been really interesting as much as Lando Norris was the leading driver last year because Daniel had such a difficult season. Lando's come across as a little bit more pessimistic than Daniel with the, the performance of the car. And while we don't know the way they, of course, behave with the team behind the scenes, I don't think there's any, there's any uh, risk that he's sort of being too weighty, let's say, on matters there. I think there is a good light and shade between them. So I think Daniel Ricciardo's positivity and optimism is probably helping balance all of that out. So he's definitely contributing in that respect. What about some of the other names then that we do have there, more well-known names? Uh, Sebastian Vettel, of course, running around in the Aston Martin. Uh, Fernando Alonso as well, who, who, of course, came back from IndyCar in the Alpine. I mean, how much longer do you expect those guys to be in the sport? Uh, Fernando Alonso, funny enough, was uh, asked this question earlier in the week, and he's saying two to three more years. Wow. He's already into his 40s. Uh, but, he, I mean, there's no doubt he's performing. You know, he is one of the greatest of all time. Only has two titles, but... There's no doubting his prowess in the car. And he's hoping that with Alpine, actually, it's going to be a championship-winning machine in the next year or two. And they've taken a big step forward this weekend, and maybe that project will work out. But he's absolutely put his cards down on the table for that one. Sebastian Vettel is a bit more difficult of a question because he's sort of seeing out the end of his career after being dropped by Ferrari. He was dropped fairly unceremoniously. And I don't want to say he's necessarily a bit bitter about that, but he certainly wants to end his career on his terms. He was picked up by Aston Martin, 
when they seem to be in the ascendancy, in fact, two years ago, it looked like they were going to become a top three team pretty comfortably. Step back last year, but last year was a bit of a weird year with the rules, didn't really count. This year is the year that counted. It's his last year on contract as well. And they're possibly the slowest team on the grid. Them and Williams are competing at the very back. You missed the two rounds, the first two rounds with COVID, lost a lot of track time this weekend with a couple of, with a couple of crashes and a power engine problem, a power unit problem. Uh, it's been a pretty dreadful start to the season for him. I can't see Aston Martin improving a lot this year, uh, which means I strongly suspect this will be the last year of Sebastian Vettel's Formula 1 career. Well, another bloke who I think you could uh, safely say is absolutely stealing a living, and if his old man wasn't involved, he'd be nowhere near it, is Lance Stroll. Uh, I mean, you talk about blokes in the last year of their careers. I mean, I guess it's just about how, how much longer Dad uh, wants to keep the pipe dream alive, right? Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. I do I do occasionally wonder how that ends, really, because, I mean, Lawrence Stroll, who, who's his father, has bought the team, he owns the team, and he owns the Aston Martin car brand as well. So he's sort of all in on this project. But, yeah, his son is... Look, to be fair to Lawrence Stroll, he's got speed. He does have innate speed. He's a junior champion. He's got pole positions in Formula 1. But he's certainly, I think, fair to say, not right up there in, in race conditions. He doesn't sort of have the the really big mental capacity, I think, that the great drivers do to manage races. And if Sebastian Vettel is going to leave the team at the end of the year, they will need a leader because Lance Stroll is not really it. He doesn't have the standing in Formula One to be a guy to lead a team with the prestige of a name like Aston Martin, even if they're at the back of the grid this season. So I don't, I can't tell you when he'll be wrapping up because, as you say, his dad owns the team and it's kind of up to them, really. No one even talks about his contract because there may not even be one, for all we know. Uh, but that is a question they'll need to face in terms of who is the driver that really drives that team forward because they're going to need one, judging by how they're doing this year. Yeah, what do you think it is? Is He says, Dad, can I get paid? And he's like, mate, I'll put you up. You get free board, you get free food. Stop complaining. Do the lawns. Um, <laughs> hey, they're, they're, I'm looking at the odds here for the race and uh, with the TAB, Leclerc is paying $1.80 to win Verstappen, two seventy five. Then out to Perez at 9s and Sainz at 21s. Lewis Hamilton, 26s, um, which uh, you know seems pretty extreme. Uh, I thought maybe... Perez might be a bit tighter because it feels like those first, those top three on the grid are very much in a race together. But there's, you know, and I know it doesn't sound a lot, but there's over half a second between third and fourth and the rest, you know. So it feels like it's the top three and then the rest racing for fourth. Is that how you see it? I think that's fair in, in the sense of the top three. I'm even a little bit surprised, as you said, that Perez was so far out. But even Max Verstappen, to be totally honest with you, because the Red Bull car looked a little bit better in terms of race pace. Now, a lot has changed since Friday when race simulations are run. Uh, but in my opinion, I mean, it's pretty warm out here today, which is more similar to Friday. I think conditions might be a little bit more in Red Bull's favour. But it is hard to say because it is so close. And at a minimum... I mean, he's right there on the front row. He's very quick in a straight line, that Red Bull car, and that's normally how overtaking gets done around this circuit is straight line speed. So I would call it pretty neck and neck between those two. But Sergio Perez has really come on in good form this season. He's much closer to Max Verstappen than in the last in the last year, their first year as teammates, and the car suits him a little bit better. So I can easily see this being a three-way fight for victory. Strategy may well factor into it, which certainly opens the door for Sergio Perez to play a role. So I think it will be a really close battle at the front, but it will be between those two teams and three drivers, potentially Carlos Sainz if he has a really great start. 
Michael, thanks very much for giving us some time. I know you've got a busy day, so I really appreciate it. But keep up the good work with uh, In the Fast Lane and Boxing Neutrals and Strategy Report, your uh, your podcast, mate, and in, uh, let you go and enjoy the day's racing. Thank you, mate. I will. It's a great atmosphere here, and it's going to be a great race. I'm sure it will be. Michael Laminato there with us out of Melbourne, Formula One and Motorsport, writer, podcaster, and editor as well. Uh, those prices, Charles Leclerc, $1.80, Verstappen, two seventy five, And that was the one that Michael thought, oh, that's that, that's not bad. Uh, you know, if you're thinking this is going to be a two-horse race, uh, then the, the horse with the longer odds, at 275, looks good, and Verstappen's not that far off in terms of pace from Leclerc. Then Sergio Perez at 9s, Carlos Sainz at 21s, Hamilton at 26s, Lando Norris 31s, and then uh, the next is uh, Daniel Ricciardo all the way back on $71. Those are the odds that we're getting here from the TAB. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. It is 17 away from four. When we come back, we're going to be talking harness action and the race with Matt Cross. 12 away from four here on SENZ Sunday afternoon. Ricardo Ball with you, updating you from the uh, women's NRL Grand Final. St George scored in the first minute. Uh, Trying the corner, went unconverted. They lead 4 0 uh, with just under 20 minutes left in the first half. Now, uh, it's a piece of history in uh, not just New Zealand, but Australasian harness racing is going to be made on Thursday with the race driven by Grins. And Matt Cross joins us now to talk about that and the draw that was done yesterday. G'day, Matt. How you doing? Hey, Ricardo. I'm all good. I'm just out at uh, Methven currently. And it's the first day in oh, just about probably three months, I'd say, that we've really been able to get up and about about having crowds on course. We've had a bumper crowd here today in mid-Canterbury. And I'm sure that we're going to get something similar for... Thursday night out of Cambridge Raceway. I think it'll be a little bit cooler than what it is now, but there hasn't there been some great hype around and it all came to a head last night with the draw. Yeah, and, on, and with the draw, of course, uh, the favourite, self-assured, um, got a bit of a bum rap, didn't it, drawing eight? Uh, I know Mark Purden's not overly <laughs> overly happy. Yeah, look, I guess draws only matter if you get beat, don't they? He's probably good enough to still overcome it, as we know. Uh, the barrier draw took place last night. So Stylish Memphis automatically being a mayor gets into the race and draws barrier one. But the rest, it was all up for grabs. And unfortunately, uh, Self-Assured's owner, Jean Feast, well, she chose the wrong trophy with the wrong number on it. And it was barrier number eight, which isn't ideal. But I would say, Ricardo, if you were to look for the positives to come out of it, he's not under any pressure to do any work early, Mark Curtin. And there's a lot of speed to his inside. So... He'll just be able to perch up. There's only one horse off the second row, so I don't think it's all that bad. It's probably dented Mark's confidence a little bit, but all things being equal, Ricardo, I think he's the best horse in the race, particularly with how he's going in recent times. Well, it's over 2,200 metres, of course. So, I mean, you know, you got... Um Alto Orlando at barrier two, Spankham at three, and Mark Dan at five, who tend to be sort of pacemakers. But that's a long way to lead from the front. So does that rule them out in your thinking? I don't think it particularly rules them out. What it does do is it probably brings self-assured into it a little bit. So Stylish Memphis off the insides coming all the way from Sydney. They won't be there to be running second. I'm picking they'll be trying to hold up early. Alto Orlando is very fast out of the gate. We've got Spankham, who's a miracle mile winner. It should be really competitive. And Mac Dan actually got a start in the race for his win in the Newcastle Mile, where he showed blistering gate speed. 
and he's got Ricky May on board. I think there'll be plenty happening in the initial stages. So it's two full circuits of the track plus a 250, 300-metre run heading into the first turn. So there's a few bends for them to get around. I think for self-assured to be winning the race, Ricardo, they really need to run that first portion at breakneck speed. And I think he'll be soaring home over the top of them. But like I say, Mark Purden's certainly got his work cut out for him. And with the Australians in there, it really adds some some interest, particularly at the start. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to look elsewhere, uh, South Coast Arden has certainly drawn reasonably well. And Brent Mangos is a driver that knows that uh, knows his way around a track. Uh, where would you be looking? Well, South Coast Arden is a horse that won the jewels in emphatic fashion. He ran one fifty one for the mile when winning the jewels back on jewels day of last year. He was very, very good in the New Zealand free for all when winning that. He's a genuine open class contender. I guess it's one of those things with South Coast Art and he's very much like self-assured. If he gets on the train at the right time and they go hard enough up front, he'll be finishing on. He had a workout at Cambridge last week and he, he looked very, very good in doing so. I don't think there's an option for him to go forward and race anywhere better than three wide parks. I don't think that the lead or the park position are available for either South Coast Arden or Self Assured. So he's in the same boat as Self Assured, Ricardo, basically hoping that those up front undo themselves early and they're able to get over the top and time their runs right. Of course, we had the uh, news too that uh, Pembroke Playboy is out of the race after showing signs of lameness on Saturday morning. So wasn't drawn in the field. Uh, the fact that it's nine versus uh, rather than ten, does that make a difference, do you think, uh, strategically? I don't think it will make too much of a difference. Uh, bloody disappointing that Pembroke Playboy couldn't be in there. He's just not going good enough, Ricardo, to be fair. And there was obviously some issues for him, so the Dunstan team obviously missing out on their slot, which is disappointing. And then, of course, we had Spellbound, who uh, last week suffered an injury in the paddock, which meant Majestic Cruiser was able to work into the race. I don't think it changes the dynamic too much, to be quite honest. If anything, the barrier draws have really made it as interesting as it possibly can be. If self-assured had have come in and he draws anywhere between barriers two and five, you're looking at it thinking, oh, well, it's his race to lose. What the draws have done now have enabled just that little bit of extra hype and that little bit of wondering what could happen pre-start, which I think for the inaugural running of this is a fantastic thing to have happened. Yeah, huge, mate. I mean, and the race itself, uh, $900,000 stakes, of course, uh, the first time this sort of slot race has been held in Australasia. What does it mean for the sport? I think it's massive. I really think it is. I know there was a lot of trepidation around the place and a little bit of doubt as to how it would unfold, but particularly over the last week or so, the hype's really taken off. We've seen over in Australia with the Kosciuszko and the Everest and the Thoroughbred game, it's an opportunity as well for people who want to reinvest a little bit of money to get a slot, have a little bit of hype. The race is about them too. It's not just about the horses. It's about the slot holders. It's about the, the, the ability to... Uh, get a horse in with the right sort of deal. I know that you guys with Hesse and Deb are able to get self-assured, which is massive. Um, you know, it's all, it's all of that that's involved. It's not just a case of sitting there and watching a race for two minutes. The, the race has been going on for months, and that little two minutes at the end is just the cherry on top. Yeah. Well, looking forward to it, mate. Are, are, are you going to be there? Are you, are you calling? Uh, I'm not. I'm not actually calling. Aaron White will be calling the race, Ricardo. But I'm uh, heading up to work with uh, Trackside on the on the presentation side of things with 
Craig the Whale Thompson. We'll have Brittany Graham, an analyst from over in Australia, to come over. And, yeah, we'll be chatting to everyone all night. And I'm sure that Aaron White's got a couple of one-liners up his sleeve for whatever's <laughs> going to happen at the finish. But 900,000, gee, fantastic, isn't it, that we're able to celebrate that in the middle of autumn. Generally, racing's a little bit quieter at this time of year, but David Branch and the team there at the Cambridge Raceway, you've got to take your hats off to them and everybody involved. And at 8.55 on Thursday night on TAB Trackside 1, not too sure if you guys will be able to play it on SENZ. I'm sure that someone will be with your interest in self-assured, but all the best to you guys as well. Yeah, hey, thanks very much, Matt. I uh, really appreciate you giving us some time. I know you're in the middle of a session calling at Methven Race 10, about 20 minutes away. Uh, We've got about 30 seconds. Uh, have, you got a t- have you got a tip for us for Race 10? I've got a winner for you. Race number 10, Ricardo, if you're having a bet... I like the chances in race number 10 of number 13, Royal Pride. I think he's the best horse in the race. So have a go at that, and we'll catch you on Thursday night from Cambridge. Sounds good. Matt Cross with us. Appreciate your time, Matt. Go well. Uh, this is SENZ Sunday afternoon. Ricardo Ball with you. In the next hour, we're going to talk football with Paul Temple. Hayden Patton's going to join us from the Rally of Otago, and we'll take your calls. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. It's just gone 4 o'clock here on SENZ. Sunday afternoon, Ricardo Paul with you through till 5 o'clock this afternoon. And, uh, of course, the Masters is on out of the States. Tiger Woods not having uh, the best of times in his third round. I think he's uh, really feeling uh, two days of walking that course. And it's caught up with him on day three, shall we say. He shot six over his worst ever round at the Masters, so he slipped right back. I mean, he made the cut, and I think given what he's recovered from, uh, that's probably as good as anything uh, for Tiger. But, uh, yeah, he'll be disappointed. Um, he had gone into the round at one over, and, uh, yeah, they shot six over today, so he's currently seven over for the tournament. In terms of how play finished up today, well, Scotty Scheffler uh, from the US is the clubhouse leader at the moment with uh, one round to play, of course, tomorrow. He is nine under. He shot one under today. Uh, Might have got the yips a wee bit because he uh, very much had a mixed bag on the uh, back nine. He had a bogey and then a birdie and then a bogey, bogey and then a birdie and then another bogey before the end. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how he handles the pressure tomorrow. But he does have a three-shot lead of the field over Australian Cameron Smith, who, of course, is in great form at the moment. He is six under. He shot four under today to put himself right in contention. Uh, Sung J.M. from Korea is currently third. He is four under. And then Shane Lowry and Charles Schwartzel from South Africa are two under. Uh, tied for fourth, and then we've got two players tied for sixth as well. Justin Thomas and Corey Connors out of Canada, both one under. Those are the only players 
three rounds in who are under par for the tournament. So I think, what is that? That is seven players out of the entire field that are under uh, for the tournament. Danny Willett is eighth. He is currently even. And then some of the big names pop up at one over. Tommy Fleetwood, Rory McIlroy, uh, Colin Murakawa, Dustin Johnson as well are at one over uh, for the tournament. And that is uh, probably where you would think the contenders stop. I mean, if Scheffler... Uh, loses the plot tomorrow, then that would put Cameron Smith in the box seat. But it would also bring a lot of other players into contention as well. Let's hear from Tiger Woods after that round today, six over, and how he's feeling about the tournament and his comeback. Where did today rank in terms of tough conditions? Uh, it was up there. Uh, yesterday starting out, I think, was more difficult than today. But today was just constant. Um, it was a lot cooler. The ball wasn't traveling as far. Um, we were getting gusts, and it was it was tough. It was tough all around. I mean, there are a few good scores out there. Um, I, if you play well, obviously, I think you can shoot a good score. Um, but uh, the the you know what we're talking about out there today, um, Kiz and I, it's like, it seems like the, they put the pens one step a little bit more difficult than than normal. They're in the same spots, but they're just one step a little bit more difficult, and. Uh, um, you know, some of our lines and some of our reads that we have in our in our, in our books are just a little bit off. Just uh, they're just a little bit more difficult. Here we are with one round to go on what has already been a monumental week for you. Where is your mindset on this Saturday afternoon? Um, not where I wanted to be. Um, I, I need to shoot a low round, a low one tomorrow, and I'd like I would really like to shoot something in the sixties and um, you know come out here on, on a positive note. Um, today wasn't a very good day. I didn't really hit it that bad, um, but I. Man, I put it awful. I mean, I had four three putts and a four putt. Um, that was just awful. And uh, I don't think I've had many days, if not any day, you know, like that on the greens. Lastly, given the conditions we've seen and, and how tough we've heard from everyone it's playing, how impressive is what Scotty Scheffler is doing right now? Well, he's doing what he needs to do. Um, he's obviously he's taking advantage of his, his length and his strength. Um, he's on a roll right now for the last you know few months, and he just continued it. You know, we were, um, you know, Fred and I were, were and Joey were chit-chatting. It's kind of like what Fred did in '92, right? He was on a run through into the West Coast, through Florida, and into the Masters, and I mean, won won Bay Hill by 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 nine that year, and then won the Masters. So um, it's kind of a similar thing. You get on these hot streaks, you know, for in a couple months, and hopefully you take advantage of it. Like a major falls somewhere in there. And um, he's taking advantage of it this week, and he's doing what he needs to do while holding the lead. So there you go. That's Tiger Woods after his round today. As I mentioned, uh, six over for the day, seven over for the tournament, out of contention. Uh, but the fact that he made the cut, the fact that he was even able to play in this tournament, I think is amazing. Uh, an update from the women's NRL grand final, still 4-0, six minutes out from halftime, and St. George Illawarra lead Sydney City Roosters uh, by four points to nil in that one. Had a couple of texts come through. Um, uh, one from my co-host, uh, unofficial co-host Dave on the text machine, saying last one from the co-host. He thinks Artie Savier is right about the referees and about the call. Uh, and he said that they were the better team by far. Killed seven of his multis. Seven. He had seven multis with the Canes to beat the Crusaders. And that is the definition of optimism, I think, and probably recklessness as well. You mix up your multis, Dave. You don't put that result in every multi. Whew. Especially when it's uh, such a 
you know, it would have been an upset too, wouldn't it? But there you go. Uh, and Michael Holdsworth has texted through on our Temper Beard Post text machine as well, double eight, double three. Uh, three games in the ANZ Premiership are postponed. Does that mean there's no netball commentary today? Yeah, Michael, unfortunately, there is no netball commentary because there is no netball, basically. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, but uh, make sure you tune in on Tuesday night from 8 o'clock. Storm Purvis will be in the house with Centre Pass doing an hour of chat about netball and the ANZ Premiership as well. I believe Mark Watson is going to be co-hosting that this week because I'm going to be Kirsty on drive uh, for the next three weeks. Although I probably don't look as good in a dress, to be fair. Um, don't have the legs, I don't think, to carry it off personally. But there you go. So uh, that is what is happening. Uh, keep those calls coming through. 0800 150 Or you can text us on the Temper Bedpost text machine. That is 8833. Still to come on the show between now and 5 o'clock, Hayden Patton is going to join us. The Rally of Otago started on Thursday and Hayden has been competing in that and we're going to get the uh, latest from Hayden well I mean the the race should be the, the rally should be over by then uh, but we will we'll be having a bit of a chat to him about that and how it sets things up potentially as well uh, for uh, the WRC coming to New Zealand as well um, so we're going to catch up with Hayden uh, probably around a quarter to five, I would say, quarter to five, uh, and uh, get his take on the rally, how it has gone for him. He is currently leading uh, by quite some way. He's leading by about five and a half minutes, I think, in the rally of Otago. So he, when we talk to him, he'll probably have been clown, uh, crowned the winner, uh, which would be great for us to have a chat to him. We are also uh, going to talk shortly to Paul Temple. Paul Temple is the man that runs the Phoenix's Football Academy. Uh, the Phoenix this season have, I would say, grab maybe half a dozen, seven players from their academy and put them into their first team, including two just in the last week because of uh, injury issues they've had. So we're going to talk to Paul about that, about how the Phoenix are going. They bounce back uh, in splendid form. I mean, they conceded 11 goals in two games to uh, Melbourne City and the Central Coast Mariners. They played the second-place Western United yesterday and win 4-1. Um, so there you go. You can, what's the old Jack Gibson line? Harder to pick than a broken nose? Yeah, I think the A-League's been like that because Central Coast Mariners, who uh, beat the Phoenix, also then turned around and lost 5-0 to Sydney last night. Um, so, yeah, and, and Mel, um, Melbourne City, who beat the Phoenix 6-0, lost 3-0 to Melbourne Victory. Uh, so it doesn't seem to be any rhyme nor reason. Ufuk Tale. Uh, the coach of the Wellington Phoenix, uh, had this to say post-match. Uh, the thought process was, with the current attributes that we have within the team, uh, how do we keep all our best players on the park and what areas that we put them in? Uh, and also, in the back of our heads, we need to, to know that we've, this is our fourth game that the boys have played and backed up in. So it was one of those moments where Western United are a very good team, uh, that they defend well. And we wanted them to come out so we can expose them in transition. And I think we did that uh, very well today. Once we get some players back, we might go back to our original game plan away the, the way that we play. But like I said, the, the idea was how can we how can we get our best players on the park and how can we uh, fit them into that starting eleven and and what's the best way about going about things playing playing four games in uh, how many days now? Four, Twelve days, fourteen days. So you know it's a it's a lot to ask from the same group as we have a lot of injuries and, and a few players out with COVID as well. Look, for me, it's a great response from the players after the last two games that we've had. 
not concerned because I know I know what the players can do. But at the same time, Michael, I think we need to be realistic. Uh, you know, we're asking uh, players that haven't had consecutive games to, to back up in the short amount of space and also uh, a, a very inexperienced uh, squad in certain positions that we're expecting to uh, to play a certain way at this level. So, look, uh, I don't... We, we learn from our mistakes, not 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 the way I wanted to learn from our mistakes, considering 11 goals in two games. But sometimes that needs to happen for for players to uh, you know to really learn and get get the uh, get the learning process across the line. So there you go. That is Ufuk Tele, the coach of the Wellington Phoenix, talking about the way that they are managing things and, of course, the uh, challenges that they are having to overcome. Paul Temple joins us from the Wellington Phoenix next. It's a quarter past four here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball with you through until five o'clock this afternoon. Uh, joining us now is the man who runs the uh, Wellington Phoenix Academy, Paul Temple. G'day, Paul. How are you doing? I'm very good, Ricardo. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. And I uh, wanted to talk to you. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of football going on. There's a lot of things we can talk about. But uh, one of those is, uh, you know, how the Phoenix have bounced back. That 4-1 win against Western United, second in the league after conceding 11 in two games. That uh, showed a hell of a lot of tenacity and mental strength from not just Ufuk Tale, but also the team. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think this probably uh, goes without saying where it's it's definitely been the toughest season um, for the guys over there. Um, just with being based in Australia now for it's two and a half years, um, it's certainly taken its toll on everybody. And I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult environment. And when you lose a game um, by a few goals, like they have twice in a row, um, that just magnifies the uh, frustration with the situation. But um be able to bounce back and show that kind of resilience and character I think shows you a lot of what that team's about and the the characters that are in the squad but also how um, Ufi and, and Chiefy have kind of managed that team as well through a really difficult season um, so it's really great for them to, to get that win again um, and you know still keeps them in the hunt for the top six which is something to play for um, throughout the, these last six, seven games well, that's the thing. I think we've got six six games left, and I think only one of them is against a team in the top six. Everything everything else is by is teams underneath, uh, and there's a few of those teams that you know effectively seasons over. They can't really realistically make the top six. Does that make any difference? Do you think? Oh, look, I think the whole league is pretty inconsistent. To be honest, there's uh, there isn't that kind of usual look to those sort of top sides either. Um, I think, you know, in the past, just Sydney FCs, for example, who have won a few titles in the last few years, have always been just so consistent. You don't see them drop a lot of points, especially in you drop them points to. But I just think this season, um, you know, we saw it last night with the two kind of league leaders. Um, yeah, I just think anyone's kind of capable of beating anyone. And the form book is really hard to read. You, know, you look at the fixtures that Phoenix have got and say they're, they're all winnable games to get them in the six, but then, you know, the team's not been consistent for me. There's two wins, two losses, another win. So I think the Phoenix form is quite similar to a lot of teams in the league that on their day, you're just not quite sure what is going to come out. Um, and so I think it makes it exciting to watch, but it also makes it really hard to predict.
Yeah, well, you're not wrong, mate. I mean, you know, we, as I mentioned, uh, the Phoenix conceded 11 in two games and then beat second in the table, Western United 4-1. And, you know, a team that beat the Phoenix 6-0 the other day gets beat 3-0 by Melbourne Victory as well last night. So it is um, it is all over the show. Uh, I don't know um, how much you saw of that game, but Marco Rojas must have put himself back in uh, all-whites contention. It was a bit of a statement game, wasn't it? A couple of great strikes. Yeah, well, look, I think anyone that's watched the league um, over the past 10 years really knows the credentials that Marco has and the quality that he possesses. Um, it's probably been a frustrating 12 to 18 months with a bad injury obviously last year. And so it's really great to see like those Kiwis doing so well and standing out. Yeah, like He's always had that ability. And I think um, when it shines out like that, it just makes everyone realise like, quality player he is and he's now an experienced older player with that quality as well so yeah if he can uh, put some performances together on a consistent basis like that then he's obviously going to put himself right in the shot window for the all whites at a really uh, crucial time of the year going into the into the playoffs and then obviously with the World Cup at the back end of that as well he'll be wanting to try and get his way into that squad. Now, one of the reasons I want to get you on today, Paul, uh, was to talk about some of the players, some of the names we're seeing on the Phoenix team sheet um, who have obviously come through the academy. I would imagine, you know, we're talking about guys like Jackson Manuel, Riley Bidwar, George Ott, Oscar Van Haddam, Lewis Toomey, Curtis Mogg, Finn Sermon to an extent, even Alex Paulson, um, have probably got their chances a little earlier than, I don't know if you would have, uh, you want to say you would have expected or even earlier than you would have liked uh, in terms of their development. But it's been a, a, a necessary uh, to do it because of uh, COVID, because of injuries, etc. Um, how happy are you with where things are at in terms of the academy and what you're producing? Yeah, I think in professional football, it's quite rare actually to get a situation where you have a young player and everything kind of goes perfectly well in terms of their progress and when they make their debut. And, you know, ideally, you know, you can get somebody on when you're 3-0 up with 20 minutes to go and let them go and enjoy their debut. Like That happens quite rarely. Um, so this is just the nature of the business. You know, these young players have to be adaptable and ready when called upon. And sometimes, you know, that is uh, very, very quickly and in tr- tough circumstances and other times it's uh, slightly different you know you think back to Ben Old's debut in the in Sky Stadium last year you know there's 25,000 people the team are playing great their team are in the lead I mean what a time to come on and make a, a professional debut and then Riley Bidwas made his professional debut the team's 4-0 down and uh, seven days before he was playing a central league game for a for the reserve team you know so he's on a plane and hasn't had a training session with the team He's straight in the squad and off the bench. So, yeah, sometimes, you know, that's the contrast that you get. And that's part of the development is really to try and get these boys to understand that um, it's not always perfect and and they've just got to be ready when called upon. That's their their role as young players who are trying to break into the first team now. Well, you know, it's not a great uh, leap to understand that uh, the Central League um, versus the A-League is quite a leap in terms of quality and, and, and probably speed and things like that as well. I mean, your job is yep. obviously getting these guys um, to a certain level uh, with their professionalism, with their fitness, uh, with their skill base, with making decisions under pressure, etc., uh, so that they can go and do this. Um, how do you go about that and how do you bridge that 
playing for the Rizzies in Central League versus coming off the bench in an A-League game? Yes, of course it's a challenge, but you're right in what you say. There's there's things that you can control in terms of someone's development. So there's you know there's a psychological element to it where you've got to be resilient, but also confident, ready to kind of make that step up and feel that you can make that step up. There's a physical element where you know we're full time, um, hence the reserves play in the Central League, which is an amateur competition in New Zealand, but the players are full time athletes. You know, so um, that's where like they can we can get them physically ready to step up into a higher level of competition um, immediately when called upon. And you know, there there is a huge jump in level from the Central League to the A League. Um, however, that's the case. You know, whatever you do in sort of your professional journey, there's always going to be a point where you have to step up to the grade, and that's where as a club. We uh, we have to work together and it's working really great because the boys that go into that first team environment also get a really good education from Ufi and Chiefy around kind of stepping into the A-League and what they need to do in the A-League sense. So, yeah, it's, um, it is a challenge without a doubt, um, but it's a great challenge to have. And, and so far, um, things are going really well for us. Um, in fact, with Riley and Louis going over to the to the squad in Australia last week. Um, that makes it that um, our starting 11 in the Central League last season, um, all 11 of them are, are now overseas playing professionally. So wow. it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome, you know, for us to, to see those boys progress like that. And um, a lot of it is, is to do with the circumstances are a bit different. You don't usually get that type of uh, conversion rate, so to speak. But... Um, yeah, the team need them, and uh, as I was saying before, it's trying circumstances in Australia, and when you get a COVID outbreak or you get um, some injuries, usually they would be at home here in Wellington, and we would have the, the boys training with them more regularly, and it would be an easier adaptation to kind of jump into a squad and be involved on a match day, whereas at the moment we're dealing with situations where, you know, Riley and Louis had to jump on a on a plane on Tuesday, and uh, as I say, they didn't get a session with the team, and and they were um, yeah flushed straight into the match day squad. Um, so that's just the that's just the situation we're dealing with at the moment. I'll tell you what, come the end of season, when you have your sit down meetings with Ufi and and and, and uh, David Dome and Rob Morrison, your KPIs must be through the roof, mate. You'd be you'd be laughing. You'd be looking at that bonus already. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, it's. Um, it's just so good to see the the boys be able to kind of achieve what they set out to achieve on this journey, um, and I think that's the that's the thing that brings the most joy to all of us in the academy that are working in that space. Um, you know, we we see how much these guys are putting in effort behind the scenes, the stuff that's uh, hard to keep track of. You know, with the gym sessions and the extra trainings and the and the extras they do after training just to kind of try and give themselves the opportunity to make that step up. So when they are able to do that and you know what they put into it, it um, yeah, it brings a lot of joy because you know how much it means to them and their families and what they've had to go through to get to that point. And that's just the starting point. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic process to be part of. And, you know, I feel proud to be part of the Phoenix at the moment because at the club we're working really well together and everybody's on the same page in terms of using these young academy players and, and so far it's, it's working really well and some of them are starting to 
make a name for themselves. The ones that have been in the team a little bit longer um, are starting to establish themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's great. They're all on different um, journeys, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really meaningful to them and to their families. So it's, it's fantastic to be part of that. Yeah, fantastic is the right word, mate. Uh, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Hey, before we let you go, Paul, big game in the Premier League mm. tomorrow morning at 3.30. Manchester City hosts Liverpool. You've got to think, if, if there's a winner in this game, uh, that gives you a good steer into who's going to take the Premier League title this season. How do you see the game going? Where's it going to be won? Oh, oh if, if people aren't excited about this one... Um, so there's been some fantastic rivalries in the Premier League over the years. You know, you think back to Man United Arsenal in those in the Wenger Ferguson days, but this Klopp Guardiola Liverpool Man City rivalry the last two, three, four years has just been amazing because it's different. It's not as uh, aggressive and it's not as uh, confrontational, but it's the style of football is just phenomenal from these two teams, um, the way they play, and so. Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to the game. Um, look, I, I think it's just so hard to pick. Um, I think it's going to slightly suit Liverpool being at the Etihad because I think they're better on the counter-attack and, uh, and they can make sure they defend well and use the pace of their front three to, to hurt Man City. And where they have come a little unstuck this year, Manchester City is in games against teams that can counter-attack them well. Uh, and be defensively, you know, like well organised. So, I think it suits Liverpool uh, that it's at the Etihad, and that's a weird thing to say. It's always you think home advantage, but I think Liverpool can go there and will have a pretty solid game plan, and and it will be really put the ball in City's court to say, come and break us down, come and open us up, and, and see what you've got. And if you're if you're not good enough, we'll pick you off on the break. So. Um, yeah, I don't have a particular preference as to who I would like to win, but I just have a sneaky feeling we might see a, we might see a, an away day victory tomorrow. Well, I can tell you the TAB uh, could make you a very rich man, Paul, because they, they've got Liverpool at $3.40. Oh, well... Well, look, I'm in the game, so I'm not allowed to bet Ricardo, so I'm not going uh, to get involved in that. But um, for those that want to, um, I think that would be a pretty uh, a pretty good bet to take. Um, but, look, yeah, you, you, you just can't call it, can you? I mean, it's just a, a feeling I have. But, um, look, I've really enjoyed watching City and Liverpool play this season. And, um, yeah, the, the quality of this game tomorrow, I think, is going to just be... Um, yeah, something for everyone to sort of save here. It's, it's a Premier League classic and to be playing so close to the end of the season where ultimately this is going to pretty much decide the title, I think is um, it's just a great spectacle, isn't it? Yeah, it is, mate. It's going to be a great game, 3.30 tomorrow morning. Good stuff. Thanks very much for joining us, Paul, and giving us some time. We'll let you go uh, and enjoy the rest of your weekend and uh, no doubt you'll be up bright and early tomorrow to watch that. Well done. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Uh, Paul Temple there from the Phoenix Academy. Yeah, the uh, TAB odds on this. Manchester City, $2.10. Liverpool, three forty. The draw, three fifty. There are two, uh, three games before that as well in the Premier League. Brentford, two fifty at home to West Ham, who are paying two eighty. The draw, three twenty five.
Uh, that one, West Ham, of course, try, still trying to push for Europe, uh, and they are slight outsiders at $2.80. Uh, Leicester play Palace as well tomorrow morning at 1. Leicester are $2.50 favourites. Palace at two seventy. the draw three thirty. tight market there. Uh, you've got to think after Palace just beat Arsenal 3-0, you'd have to have a look at them. And Burnley are $2.40 favourites away at Norwich. They need a win after Everton beat United this morning 1-0. And uh, that, to get out of the relegation zone, they need to keep the pressure on Everton who have a horrible run-in. So Norwich $3, the draw $3, Burnley two forty. Uh, those all well worth looking at. We'll revisit some of the other action from the Premier League from overnight next here on SCNZ. Yeah, you're on SCNZ. Ricardo Ball with you through until 5 o'clock this afternoon. Hayden Patton joining us before then. Uh, right now, though, let's have a quick look at football from overnight from the Premier League. And uh, two of the sides chasing European spots faltered this morning. One of those uh, was Manchester United. The early kickoff, it was 11.30 last night, uh, were at Everton, who really have been struggling. And United... You could say they didn't turn up, they were out there, but they didn't really uh, look like it. David De Gea, the goalkeeper, had this to say post their 1-0 loss. Painful defeat. What happened out there today? Yeah, we will say the same, the same word many times. Uh, decision, tough game. <laughs> we knew before we came here, they, they're struggling, they, how difficult it is to play here, even if they are not in a, in a good mood, but... But they play with more desire. They play on Wednesday. They were tired. They were a bit, a bit nervous. You feel it. And even with that, we, we lose the game. So it's, it's, it's a disgrace from 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 us. To be honest, we we should win this game. Yeah, it's, it's a strong word, but I can see why you say it because you you have so much attacking talent on that pitch, and yet you haven't scored a goal. And yet that's rough. We, we we just not score, and we don't we don't create. That's the problem. So we don't even create proper chances to score. Uh, I don't know what to say. To be honest, uh, we are not good enough. We are not good enough. That's the that's for sure. And uh, it's going to be very difficult now to to be on the top four. Yes, that's the next question in terms of, and in terms of the, the club itself. Do you feel, I was asking Ralph about this whether the distractions, waiting for the big decisions, the new manager, are all these affecting you? Of course, it's not the the perfect atmosphere, and uh, this. But you see, they, they were tired, they were nervous, and and come on, they, they keep going, they keep fighting to win. They have more desire than us, so that's that's not acceptable, and uh, it's uh, very sad, very sad to, to lose today. Yeah, very sad indeed. Uh, it was not a great performance from United. First 12 minutes, they looked all right. Marcus Rashford had a, uh, forced a couple of really good saves out of uh, Pickford, but then they went quiet, and they didn't have another shot on target till the 80th minute. Um, which says a lot about the performance. Uh, really, is a United fan disappointing? They looked like eleven strangers out there who had never met each other before playing park football. They were just woeful. Uh, probably, I've been supporting United for a long, long time, and I would say that is the worst performance I have ever seen from the team or from the club. So, uh, yeah, a lot of work to be done in the off season at that club. And uh, there's a lot of players are going to be leaving, I think. Uh, well, I know there's at least four, but there should well be some more as well. Now, Michael uh, Mikel Arteta is the uh, coach of Arsenal, manager of Arsenal. Of course, uh, they've been going really well. And they, they, they had fourth, and it looked like, oh, they've finally sorted things out. And then they went and lost 3-0 to Crystal Palace 
during the week. Well, they had a chance to uh, rectify that by hosting Brighton, who had been winless in about six, seven games uh, this morning. But Brighton turned around and won 2-1. So Mikel Arteta also under the microscope. That the first half, we didn't have the reaction that I expected. Um, we were sloppy, we were imprecise, we were with not the right approach and with the right courage to play the way we want to play. And uh, and the game was there and we were cold. We didn't transmit any energy, we didn't transmit any willingness to dominate the game the way we wanted to do it. And the first situation they had, um, they scored a goal. And then the second half, we, we have a reaction, especially in the last minutes. And it's great not to give up, but we have to do it in the first minutes. You've made it clear there what you expected of your players. What do you put it down to, the fact they didn't deliver that for you, particularly in the first half? We were really imprecise and, and we didn't have, uh, in my opinion, the, neither the speed, neither the purpose and neither the, the courage uh, to attack the way we wanted to attack. And then it became really, really predictable what we wanted to do. We were really imprecise and then the game breaked because as well we were second to best in a lot of duels again today. You have the youngest starting average age in the Premier League. Does that play a part at this stage of the season? Does that maybe a little lack of experience play a part? The same players that they've been playing the whole season and uh, took us all the way here. Um, I'm concerned because everything is not going to be as smooth and you're going to have difficult moments in a season. Uh, you're going to have a moment where you don't perform individually or collectively, that's fine, but then you need to react and you need to step in and, um, and today we didn't show that again in the first half. Yeah, so a big loss for Arsenal, 2-1 at home to Brighton this morning. Uh, elsewhere, Chelsea cemented third place with a 6-0 hammering of Southampton. Leeds uh, gave themselves some breathing room at the bottom as well. They are clear now of the relegation zone after beating Watford 3-0. And Tottenham Hotspur beat Aston Villa 4-0. The result doesn't really tell the story of the game. They scored in the third minute, Tottenham, and then it was all Villa for about 60 minutes. Who uh, Larice made a couple of world-class saves. They hit the crossbar, they hit the post, and then Spurs hit them on the counter and scored. And then, obviously, they were trying to push on to equalise, and they ended up conceding four. Lost 4-0 four at home to Spurs. A great result for Spurs means they are fourth in the Premier League and in the box seat for Champions League football next season. Arsenal and Spurs do have to play each other, though, before the end of the season. So we've got all of that action coming tomorrow morning as well. Another four games in the Premier League, including Manchester City versus Liverpool at 3.30. A little bit sooner than that, though, 5 o'clock, the start of the F1 Grand Prix out of Melbourne. And things haven't been going well for the darling of F1. That is, of course, Lewis Hamilton uh, and his Mercedes team. This P5 today after the running yesterday probably seems like a big win, I'm guessing. Compared to yesterday, yeah, uh, and also compared to the last race for me, this is this is nice to be back up there. I think the uh, Jeddah was really, really, really tough to be so far back and not really be able to make a lot of progress. Um, and then yesterday was a difficult day. We had a bigger deficit and uh, we worked hard through the night. Everyone back at the factory was working hard to try and figure out where we can go with the setup. And I think we've extracted the most from the car today. I feel like my lap, I feel like there was a little bit more in the car. So... That's a positive. I'm naturally also gutted that I wasn't able to extract that little bit. But the problem is, as I said, when you push that car just a little bit more, it's it's she's quite spiteful. So uh, <laughs> she's like a like a viper <laughs> or like a rattlesnake. You know, you never know. So how hard is it driving this car this year? Because you've got 
you've got to basically pitch a pick whether or not yeah, raise the right like height. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to decide whether or not you're going to have the porpoising and have to deal with it and have a bit more speed or lose the porpoising but be slower. You had to drive the bones off that car today, it looked like, out there on track. Yeah. Do you have to say, you and George, I guess, say we will put up with it and we will find a way around it until you can solve this to get the speed? Is that what you're yeah, having to do? Yeah, basically we just have to try and find a level of the bounce in as hardcore as we can go without like rattling our brains out of our skulls so um and that's what we try to do he and i have slightly different cars slightly different because we're trying all those different things um in my car i've got something in my car which is a little makes the car a little bit heavier but it's, it's not a huge huge step but um hopefully it will enable the team to get, get uh, gain more um information uh, from the race tomorrow. So um, I hope from that we can start making some progress. Great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. That is uh, Lewis Hamilton speaking. So during practice, I think he was 13th fastest, but by the time they got to qualifying, he ended up finishing fifth. So they found something in the car, but it hasn't been a great start to the season for Mercedes, and uh, it doesn't look like, barring a big accident or something, or big mechanical failure, that they will be in the uh, the podium running. It looks like it's all Ferrari and Red Bull at this stage of things. It is 17 away from five. When we come back, Hayden Patton's going to join us to talk Rally of Otago. This is SENZ, Ricardo Ball with you through till five o'clock this afternoon. A real champion of New Zealand motorsport joins us now, Hayden Patton. G'day, Hayden. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks very much. It's a story, mate. Uh, the Rally of Otago is over, and uh, how did it go for you, mate? How was the experience? Yeah, no, it's been a good weekend, actually. So, uh, yeah, good way to start the championship with a win. Um, almost perfect in terms of the points, and the team also did a, a great job. So, yeah, great way to start the season. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to... Well, trying to carry this momentum forward to Whangarei Rally in, in a month's time. Yeah, well, yeah, you've got a, bu- a bunch coming up. Uh, it feels like at the moment, I, I guess probably buoyed by the WRC news, uh, that rallying's sort of become more visible again in New Zealand, if you like. It seems to be more uh, more public awareness and, and more interest. Have you noticed that at the Rally of Otago this time around? Oh, definitely, hugely. It's uh, you know I think WRC is definitely uh, creating a, a lot more of a profile and interest around the sport, and also within the sport, you know the competitors and these are a whole lot of new cars and new drivers, and there's just a real buzz around everything. So that, that's awesome to see. That's what you know that's going to allow the sport to grow and, and bring new people into it. And, and, and as I say, WRC Rally will just be an amazing event for for not only the competitors but all the public as well. Uh, you had a few drive shaft issues on day one of the rally. Uh, did, did you overcome those? Did that cause you any more any more problem at all? Uh, yeah, just a couple of little issues yesterday, but today's been reasonably uh, plain sailing, so uh, it's been good. We've just been keeping it in the middle and, and trying to protect their lead and, and bring it home to, to get the result for the team. Now, you talk about depth in, the, in rallying. Obviously, you know, people that you're racing against, you've probably got the most experience at the top end of the sport, but there are a lot of names as well kicking around there who um, are, are duking it out, I guess, for the places. People like uh, Rana Horan and Robbie Stokes and Emma Gilmore. Uh, ben Hunt got a second, I think, as well. Um, how do you see the growth of the sport and the, and the drivers that are coming up? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of depth. Uh, we can see this year the competition's getting faster and, and as I say, a lot of new young drivers as well. And it's, it's awesome to see. Um, you know, I'd say even within the top 15, there's a lot of drivers who can be competing for the podium and it's all very close. So, um, yeah, things are progressing in a very good direction and, and those drivers and teams are only going to continue to get quicker as well. And, um, 
yeah, obviously that means we've got to keep looking at our game as well, but it's, it's part of the sport. It's always good to have healthy competition. Yeah, of, of course, of course. Uh, what about uh, the courses and, and the the availability of tracks to, to race on, I guess, because, you know, you don't want to be, uh, I guess, learning the ropes in competition, although that there, there has to be a certain amount of that. So how do our courses, you know, sort of rank in terms of what's available uh, around the world? Oh, New Zealand's very well known to have the best uh, stages in the world, uh, like our gravel roads here are like a, a gravel motorway, if you like, and, and that's why obviously the WRC, well, partly why the WRC is coming back is that all the drivers and teams want to come here, you know, just a lot of different variety of stages between the, the South Island here and, and Otago versus what we'll have uh, for Rally New Zealand, but uh, generally throughout the country, just really, really nice, smooth, flowing stages, and but it's what we call real driver stages, you can just really get into them, and, and they don't tend to bite back too much. Who are you excited about coming up against, say, uh, you know, the rally of Whangarei or, or the one in South Canterbury in a couple of months' time? I mean, who are the, the drivers you really enjoy duking it out with? Well, to be honest, everyone. It's, it's just, uh, OK, the, the top of the field's getting quite close. Uh, you know, we can see Ben Hunt, Robbie Stokes, uh, Emma Gormore uh, are, are definitely lifting their games, and, and they are the ones um, for us to keep an eye on and, and for us to, you know, also keep lifting our games. So, yeah, the competition's uh, hot and... Uh, you know, same like any sport, you, you've got to keep pushing forward. If you're, if you're standing still, you're going backwards. So uh, we're just, you know, continuing, continuing to learn and, and make advances. And great having a, an Olympian in the field as well. Hamish Bond seems he, he, he can, he, he just, if, it's, uh, if, if he can compete in it, he wants to have a crack, whether it's road cycling or rowing or whatever. He's, he's been uh, there as well. Have you had much of a chat to him and has he been picking your brain? Yeah, had a bit of a catch up with uh, Hamish here before the rally and, uh, yeah, that's the beauty of our sport, actually, is that novices can come in quite easily and, and get get involved, and, and that's obviously what Hamish has done. And Yeah, he's definitely throwing himself in the deep end. It's quite a big challenge, and uh, this is one of the longer rallies uh, of the season for everyone. So, But, you know, uh, last night he was saying he was just loving it, loving every minute of it, and obviously the more he does it, the, the, the easier it becomes for him as well. So, um, yeah, you never know. Maybe we'll see him do some more rallies, but I think... Uh, that's not even just uh, making the commitment to do the rally in the first place. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the guy's up for anything by the sounds of things, mate. Um, what about for you in your rallying career at the moment? I mean, with the WRC coming back, does that open more doors for you in terms of international drives and things? Uh, yeah, we're, we're focusing on what we do overseas with our own team. So obviously we've got a, a pretty good uh, WRC2 campaign uh, for the second half of this year and, and next year uh, that we're running with our own uh, New Zealand, Hyundai New Zealand rally team. So, yeah, we're, we're excited about, about that. Um, but, of course, competing at home on your on your home WRC rally is a dream come true. Um, we'd love to be there in, in a top-class world rally car, but that's a little bit out of our control at the moment. Um, that's more down to the teams and, and what cars are available. But, hey, we'll just keep doing what we can and, and try and give ourselves the best opportunity to try and make that possible. Yeah, mate. Well, you keep you keep doing it because you're doing it well. Congratulations again on your rally of Otago win, mate. And uh, how do you prepare now for for Whangarei and and how do those uh, courses differ? Uh, yeah, we've got a month to turn the car around, so um, you know we've got a few things to improve on the car after this weekend. So we'll sort of go through some small developments, and but other than that, um, you know everything's all straight and and, and uh, reasonably unscathed at the moment. So it's really a bit of a polish and sort of a check over and uh, go do it again. Yeah, good stuff. Hayden, thanks very much for giving us some time, mate, and best of luck uh, for the rest of the series as well, and uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon, eh?
Yep, awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you. No problem at all. Hayden Patton there with us, uh, champion rally driver, just uh, wrapping up the title at the Rally of Otago. And uh, great of him to to join us, give us some time there. And uh, that rally, yeah, lots of great talent coming through, including some, as you said, uh, former Olympians as well with uh, Hamish Bond. Is there anything that bloke won't do, Hamish Bond? I mean, he's gone backwards real fast in the rowing. He's uh, been on a touring bike. He's uh, he's he's been on uh, the velodrome, and now he's he's in a rally car. Ben, he's he, he seems to be able to to uh, have a crack at anything, doesn't he? That's right, and I feel like this might be a bit of a stretch, but I'm wondering whether he will try make that All Blacks midfield for the 2023 <laughs> World Cup. Uh, we've probably got enough uh, uh, enough options there. I don't know if we need Hamish Bond. I don't uh, know. You know, you might have a bit of pace off the mark there. He yeah. might be able to weave through those gaps. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, he's pretty fast going backwards. So, uh, you know, maybe we can put him off the back of the scrum. What about a rolling mall? Yeah, that's what we need. We need him <laughs> and a rolling mall. I'll tell you what, Eric Murray is enjoying life out of the boat at the moment, so we could get him propping potentially. Uh, I think that's that's definitely uh, something that is is worth considering. This is SENZ uh, Sunday afternoon. Ricardo Ball with you. The update from the grand final, the uh, NRL Women's Grand Final, is it's all tied up. It's four apiece. So the Roosters have struck back. This is between, of course, the Roosters and the Dragons. We've got 15 minutes left in this one. The Dragons were reasonably big favourites in this, but. It's been a tight game and is now all tied up at 4 all. I'll be back for you tomorrow with Beaver uh, on the run home here on SCNZ. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It's Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit tyrepower.com.au now.